if you're angry, you're probably very right to be angry right now. Just as a little background on anger itself, before we jump into all the reasons why you have to be angry right now, all of them, no, you know what, so we don't have this show last all day, we'll stick to reasons related to corona that you have to be angry, and and hopefully we can fit that into two hours, we'll see, I I doubt it, we're going to miss a lot, because there's a lot to be angry about right now. Now, emotional freedom, having that maturity to control and, and regulate your emotions as an adult, to, as a conscientious human being, you are going to have emotional responses to things. How you react to the emotional response, the state in which you choose to compose your mind, that's your choice when you have and embrace emotional freedom. And I would never say act in anger. I mean, if you're angry in the moment and you have to self-defense, defend somebody else, jump in a dangerous situation, okay, sometimes acting out of anger will save your life. But when you have the option to step back and act rationally or from love, that's so much better, always, 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 if you have that choice. You really have no consequences of taking just a little bit of time to make sure that your motivations and your plans are grounded in reality and principles and positivity as opposed to negativity or hatred or anger. But right now, this is there's a there for a lot of people who care about freedom, this this anger, it's like, okay, finally, yes. Finally, you see what we've been talking about this whole time, and it's affecting you in a new way. With the coronavirus forced unemployment crisis, because that's what the crisis really is at its heart. The, the, the majority of the, the suffering that we are experiencing right now is not from the virus. I mean, not even close to it, a significant, just barely significant portion of, of everything that that's tough right now is because of the virus itself. The vast majority of it is because of government's actions using the coronavirus as the excuse. And now, oh gosh, really, it's getting old to say, I told you so. This second wave, this increased level of, of shutdowns, yeah, I knew this was coming. I didn't expect it to be quite this bad, and I, I don't think it's getting worse necessarily. The curve of tyranny has more or less flattened, but it's still this jagged up, down, up, down, because the Karens of America are always there to give the politicians the justification, the excuse, the angry mobs of voters demanding that government protect us from the virus. Insane. So right now, what are we seeing? Our first story today from the Associated Press. States reverse openings require masks amid virus resurgence. 
Arizona's Republican governor shut down bars, movie theaters, gyms, and water parks Monday. That's yesterday. And leaders in several states ordered residents to wear masks in public in a dramatic force reversal amid an alarming resurgence of coronavirus cases nationwide. Alarming? Lots of people who understand basic science, who know how to read, uh, who understand it's so important to be able to read between the lines in a story like this because the propaganda is so deeply embedded and entwined in the language. Among those implementing the face covering orders is the city of Jacksonville, Florida where Maskevers President Donald Trump plans to accept the Republican nomination in August. Trump has refused to wear a mask during visits to states and businesses that require them. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey's order went into effect immediately and for at least 30 days. Ducey also ordered public schools to delay the start of classes until at least August 17. Most Arizona bars and nightclubs opened after the governor's stay-at-home and business closure orders were allowed to expire in (sighs) mid-May. Allowed to expire. When when they stopped using the threat of government force to keep you from going to your job. Arizona health officials reported 3,858 more confirmed coronavirus cases Sunday the most reported in a single day in the state so far, and the seventh time in the past 10 days that daily cases surpassed the 3,000 mark. Since the pandemic began, 74,500 cases and 1,588 deaths stemming from the virus have been reported in Arizona. Now, one of the things that I predicted is that as the testing got out and they were able to test more people who end up being completely asymptomatic carriers is in they get it and they don't even notice that they have it or they test for antibodies. And I bet you they're going to say, you know, I mean, and technically the language here is, is, is accurate to say if, if you get tested for the antibodies, you test positive for the antibodies and negative for the virus. Remember when I took that little prick test right here live for Adam versus the man, uh, it had two little, lines, two reading lines in in the test, and one is for the active virus and the other one is for antibodies. So if you test positive for antibodies, allegedly, at least if it, you know, this is a fair assumption, you can't get it again, right? Or you've had and gotten over it or somehow miraculously got a vaccine that doesn't exist, right? Because if you get a vaccine, the way the vaccine works, they give you a piece of the virus that you can create the antibodies without getting sick from the virus that if you get exposed to the virus, the antibodies in your system are already there, attack it, and it doesn't affect you. That's the way it it normally and is supposed to work. So now that we know Trump delayed the testing, there's another wave of testing. Now, whether this is Trump himself or, you know, FDA or Fauci or other manipulators in the system, we know that we weren't getting test kits out nearly as fast as we know now that we are capable of because of government. The test that I took here was getting out because it was pending FDA approval. I said, oh, yes, any day now you'll be able to sell these online, yada, yada. Nope. 
never mind. The FDA just said to the company, can't do it now. So now the tests are getting out, they say way more cases, but they're not going to point out, oh, by the way, uh, the fatality rate is going down and we're getting to a point of, of herd immunity. And whether or not you believe the concept of herd immunity, which is somehow debated at this point, uh, there is a let the virus run its course strategy. And, you know, there's there's nothing to stop us from doing that anyway. If that's the way this is going to go, we're going to get to, it's just out there, part of the great global family human petri dish, along with, I don't know, uh, at least dozens, hundreds, thousands of other viruses of similar or much greater virality and mortality. So the state of Arizona is not alone in its reversal. Places such as Texas, Florida, and California are backtracking, closing beaches and bars in some cases amid a resurgence of the virus. And again, it, it might not be a resurgence of the virus at all, just in testing. In New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy announced Monday that he's postponing the restarting of indoor dining because people have not been wearing face masks or complying with recommendations for social distancing. New Jersey has been slowly reopening, and on Monday, indoor shopping malls were cleared to start business again. Democratic governors in Oregon and Kansas said Monday that they would require people to wear masks. Oregon Governor Kate Brown's order will require people to wear face coverings in indoor public spaces starting Wednesday. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly said she will issue an executive order mandating the use of masks in stores and shops, restaurants, and in any situation where social distancing of six feet cannot be maintained, including outside. The order goes into effect Friday. The evidence could not be clearer. Wearing a mask is not only safe, but it is necessary to avoid another shutdown, Kelly said. Idaho is moving in a different direction, at least when it comes to the elections, despite the continuing spread of the virus. State election officials said Monday that they would allow in-person voting, as well as mail-in ballots for August primaries in the November general election. Idaho's May 19th primary was the first statewide election held by mail only. The primary had record voter turnout. And then they had this fancy chart with the global confirmed cases, recovered deaths, you know, and, and who's uh, country by country, you know, doing better or worse. And, you know, these numbers are just, we know how manipulated they are. We know how country to country they're using different metrics of, of what counts as a case. So what we're seeing now is this growing anger. You can't plan for things. You know, just uh, you go to a store and it's shut down. You go to the gym. Like, even in, in Arizona, here in my home state, the order yesterday, did I get some personal notice? And you know what? They, they freaking violate your privacy with your text messages anyway, at least your default settings. I think there's a way to turn it off. But we get Amber Alerts, and I, this is, I don't mind. This is government doing a good thing, tracking down children who are kidnapped, right? They send you an Amber Alert. You know, sometimes we get storm warnings. I, I generally don't mind these things. I wish there were better systems of doing it, but government is doing good here. Why not tell us what the frick is going on 
with the set, which is what's the ball? I, I don't know. Like right now, what's the policy in Arizona where I live? I don't freaking know. That should piss you off. I mean, just, I, the more I think about it, it's like, you know what? I'm, re- I'm really glad I live where I live because it doesn't matter to me. I live on 10 acres in the mountains. And I have, you know, the garden of freedom here to, to, to do whatever I want with, to set my own rules. You know, I, I go into town. I know the stuff's not going to be open. Wherever I'm going, to the post office hasn't been shut down yet, even though that, that might be a carrying vector. Oh, no. Passing the virus around by mail, by contact, touching surfaces. The postal workers here in Ashworth wear, wear rubber gloves uh, when they're sorting the mail, so I'm not worried about that there. <laughs> but, you know, I, I go to the dollar store. I go to, you know, Walmart, Home Depot. They haven't been closed yet. I can call ahead and check. I, I care. I, you know, it's funny about the masks. Like, I wear a mask a lot more than most people do anyway because I'm doing construction work out here. I wear a bandana. I pull it up over my nose when I'm working with wood, making sawdust or cement powder, right? But so it's it's natural. It's not a big deal. But I don't know. Could I travel? Like I And I, I'm supposed to be going to the Libertarian National Convention next week. The, and, and even before today's rumor that it might be canceled, that there's an issue with the venue and uh, because of shutdowns in Florida. You know, even before that, I got to I got to drive through through eight states to get there from here. What if one of them locks down or puts up border checkpoints and says, well, yeah, if you're coming from out of state from a hotspot state, and I'm from Arizona now, oh, my gosh, now it's our turn to be a hotspot state. Woo! What if you got a quarantine for two weeks? I'm just like locked in a state. Who knows? Florida was doing this before. Texas was doing this before. You have to drive through both states. They were checking for out-of-state license plates and, and mandating quarantines. Now, to what degree they're enforced, I don't know. But if I'm going to be doing public stuff, like, I'm not going to be able to pretend that I'm, you know, adhering to the, whatever they're... They're going to be able to say, ah, you violated quarantine. And now we go to South Beach, MSN.com, from the Miami Herald, not wearing a mask. It costs you $50 in South Beach under new COVID crackdown. Like when your only tool is a hammer, every person looks like a nail. Oh, did I say person? Well, I guess when your only tool is a government, every person looks like a potential victim who can be beaten into submission. No positive incentives, positive reinforcement, nothing like that. Just, we're going to fine you. If you don't pay the fine, we're going to lock you in a jail where you're definitely going to get corona because there's no social distancing or sanitization in jail. Can't get hand soap half the time. So starting Tuesday, not wearing a mask in South Beach can cost you $50 amid a rising number of COVID-19 cases. And hospitalizations in Miami-Dade County, the mayor of Miami Beach announced Monday the city would begin issuing fines to those who ignore rules requiring the use of facial coverings indoors and outside if social distance cannot be observed. 
The city's new crackdown does not go as far as its neighbors across the bay in the city of Miami, which requires the use of masks at all times in public except for when exercising, eating, or working outdoors or by very young or medically vulnerable groups. You can still walk your dog along the street, for example, but you'll need your mask on if you chat with a neighbor along the way. Violating Miami Beach's rules may renew a verbal warning and subsequent violations will lead to a $50 fine. That's less than the announced fines in Miami, which start at $50, but can increase to $500 for a third offense. Don't be a repeat offender. Oh, my God. This could get ugly. Now, according to the Times of Israel, we have our next fear-mongering story. It's frightening. Doctors say half of cured COVID-19 patients still suffer. Benai Brock woman tells the Times of Israel that a month after testing negative, she has severe fatigue and anxiety, and her husband is worse than when he was hospitalized. Recovered COVID patients are baffling doctors with complaints of freak pains, lungs that just won't get back to normal, and a range of incapacitating psychological issues. Psychological issues. Hmm. Now, what is one of the critical things that makes the coronavirus different from the seasonal flu. You don't have lots of people in positions of authority trying to scare the crap out of you about the seasonal flu. A lot of people just don't know better. They hear these things from the authorities and go, oh, there's a deadly virus. Well, we're shutting down the economy. It better be really freaking deadly. Oh, my gosh, they got it. And 99% chance plus you'll be, you, you probably won't even notice, or, or what is it, 80% asymptomatic completely? And it could be higher. We won't know until the government finally lets the testing really get out there in a meaningful, accountable way, <laughs> if that ever happens, right? As Professor Gabriel Izbiki of Jerusalem's Shiar Zedek Medical Center told the Times of Israel, more than half the patients weeks after testing positive are still symptomatic. Now, when you have so many people you're counting as cases, then any disease that people get related to this or similar to this or whatever, and, and you can, in, in, in the subsequent weeks, months, you can blame it on coronavirus. And if so many people are getting this, you know, and I'm I'm just I'm not buying the signal I'm skimming this article. You know, and I'm I'm seeing a lot of anecdotal data. There's there there are there are zero numbers in this story except fifty percent describing lung capacity. I'm, I'm, I'm double-checking this entire article. There's there, COVID-19. There's the, the number 19. Her husband, age 55, 
Other than that, there's not a single number in this article. The fear is turning to anger, especially directed at those who made us afraid for no good reason. And from the Washington Post via cron.com, Elizabeth Chang writes, Americans are living in a big anger incubator. Experts have tips for regulating our rage. Americans are angry. The country erupted into the worst civil unrest in decades after the death of George Floyd. And anger about police violence and the country's legacy of racism is still running high. At the same time, we're dealing with anger provoked by the coronavirus pandemic. Anger at public officials because they've shut down parts of society. Or anger because they aren't doing enough to curb the virus. And here it it is sort of legitimate to say things that you could reasonably expect our current government to do. Getting out of the way, releasing resources, especially, you know, the the major, you know, military medical resources, uh, supporting research, things like that. You know, yeah, they're not doing that. Or or just making testing available. You know, I, I hate to say this because I don't believe the government should have nearly as much control over the medical industry as it does right now. But as long as it does, and it's to a certain degree, uh, the deciding entity here, it should have decided to really support getting more tests out and sharing that data more widely and getting an understanding of this thing a lot faster. Anger about being required to wear a mask or anger toward people who refuse to wear a mask. Anger with anyone who doesn't see things the right way. According to psychiatrist Joshua Morgenstein, the country is now dealing with three disasters superimposed on top of one another. The pandemic, the economic fallout, and civil unrest. Now, I don't think the pandemic is a real disaster. It's a funky, off-season, flu-like virus with about the same mortality rate. Could be a little bit more, could be a little bit less. Until the government stops lying about the numbers, we won't know for sure. So, it's it's really the economic fallout, and I think this is the, I mean, yes, this is like what we are experiencing. But the pandemic as a disaster isn't real. That's the hoax. It's not really a disaster. It's a little regular quirk that happens in the global human petri dish. So the economic fallout is the government using that as the excuse for uh, more of the rich get richer and the poor get poor nonsense. And then the civil unrest, I mean, George Floyd, yes, tragic case, police reform, something I've been calling for I don't know, my entire time as an activist, at least, um, because activists certainly deal with police. And it seems like that's just a distraction, and it's working. Even just seeing it, it's the virus, the economic fallout, and civil unrest is a distortion of the reality. 
Morgenstein said, certainly one, of, one way of responding and a common way of responding is anger. Morgenstein chairs the American Psychiatric Association's Committee on the Psychiatric Dimensions of Disaster. Surveys over the past few years suggested that anger had risen in the country even before the 2020 crisis. A Gallup poll conducted in 2018, for example, concluded that American stress, worry, and anger had intensified that year. 22% of Americans had felt anger the previous day, up from 17% the previous year. What does that mean? Um, we're not really good at life right now. We're not. I think we can do better. I think we're uh, maybe not fair to say we're not good at life as Americans, but we haven't been getting much better lately. And certainly with allowing the modern American lifestyle to develop as it has, again, why I feel that what we're doing homesteading here is so important. This is the most important march for freedom in the world that we're leading out of the cities and into the woods where there's plenty of freedom to go around. But more importantly, building a more conscientious lifestyle from the ground up that doesn't allow you to get sucked into wage slavery, to a grind, a rut, a, a lifestyle of television and microwave dinners and and commutes and and tickets and consumerism, stress, worry, and anger is the result of that. Perhaps this culminating moment is this coming to a head and popping like a zit, and when we get over the fallout from this triple disaster, we'll be able to really re-examine our lives. I think that's part of what's happening already, and that's really a beautiful, positive thing that we're experiencing. The emergency weekly surveys conducted since April by the Census Bureau and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention didn't ask specifically about anger, but they reveal that many Americans are anxious or depressed, especially Black and Asian Americans in the week following George Floyd's death. Both anxiety and depression can manifest as anger. Anger is also an understandable reaction to the uncertainty inherent in the pandemic and protests, said Larissa Tiedens, a social psychologist and president of Scripps College in California, which, by the way, right next to where I went to college in Claremont. We know that uncertainty is both as a cognitive and emotional state is one that people want to resolve. Anger is one way to do that. By being angry about something, you get to leave your feelings of uncertainty for a while and occupy a space and sensibility of certainty and clarity and confidence. Isn't that interesting as a psychological phenomenon? That it is fear and doubt and uncertainty that if you cannot resolve those, become drivers of anger because anger, like a bad drug, provides temporary relief. Of course, staying in that anger is not healthy. Leads to depression, stress, anxiety, chronic health conditions that we know make corona worse. Because your cortisol levels go up, stress hormones, all of these things weaken your immune system. If you don't sleep as much, 
your immune system suffers. So it becomes a problem, quote, when it is sustained or there are recurrent repetitive bouts of it without use of other positive coping tools. According to Damon Tweedy, an associate professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Duke University School of Medicine, unmanaged anger can erupt into aggressive behavior against others, which is of particular concern now. Domestic violence cases have spiked during the pandemic, and experts believe children at home with abusive parents are in increased danger. Anger can also harm our own health by affecting the cardiovascular, neurological, and endocrine systems. Here are strategies to curb anger before it gets to that point. So, here's the practical stuff. I love this. One, insulate yourself from anger. The most important lesson concerning anger is anger control is not to get angry in the first place, said Novako. He suggests three antidotes to help prevent anger from taking hold. Appreciation, affiliation, and aspiration. I love that. Three A's. Appreciation means paying attention not to what angers you, but to things that contribute to positivity in your life. Affiliation means nurturing our relationships. Aspiration means striving to accomplish things that are bigger than yourself or that serve other people. By employing these antidotes, he said, we're doing things that insulate us from getting angry about stuff. So I love this. And, you know, the appreciation, paying attention to what angers, not to what angers you, but the things that contribute to positivity in your life. If, if this doesn't come naturally to you, guess what? The answer is really, really simple. Find some kind of daily gratitude practice. And when I felt like I've used this when I felt that I needed to get in touch with that, to be, to, to train my brain to be more positivity oriented, just Every day when you wake up, you know, you write down three things you're grateful for or looking forward to that day or appreciative of. Or at night, you know, you, before you go to bed, three things that you enjoy during that day or that you appreciate about life in general. Whatever works for you, it's a really simple exercise. You know, like sit-ups or push-ups, just training your brain to stay in that positive space, to not let that negativity take over. Another way to insulate yourself from anger is through basic self-care, said Morgan Steen. Getting enough sleep, hydration, and nutritious food and exercise, not using alcohol, tobacco, or other substances to cope. He acknowledges this is hardly earth-shattering advice. There's nothing exciting or headline-grabbing, frankly, about self-care. The things that are the root of our wellness tend to be relatively humdrum. Well, you can make them interesting, but yeah, this is it. And how many Americans screw up and just compromise their sleep and just lower their health a few degrees because, well, I'm just, I got to stay up for this, for my kids, and then I got to get up to get them ready or to go to work or to make my commute. And it's just, they build these routines, so many Americans, into their grinds, their daily plan just to, to reduce their health. And it's like, no, this is a really important time to remind yourself and others, hey, how'd you sleep last night? You doing all right? Basic self-care. Focus on yourself. Hey, especially if you're out of work, you got no excuse. Take the time. You know, develop your routine. Develop your self-care until you get to that point where 
you're satisfied with it. But they can be protective. To illustrate the importance of nutrition, for example, Brad Bushman, a professor in Ohio State University School of Communication and an aggression and violence researcher, cites research that found that married people who had less glucose in their blood stabbed voodoo dolls representing their spouse more times than those who had more glucose in their blood. We need our brains to help us combat anger because that takes a lot of cognitive effort. And so we need to feed our brain healthy foods so that it can combat anger. And, oh, my gosh, don't get me started on the typical American diet and corn syrup and political subsidies and all of that. I'll just say, again, this is a time to be more conscientious about this, and especially with so many Americans relying on food banks. you got to be careful. Stock up on vitamins. Get You know, a basic multivitamin goes a long way in this. I'm a bit of a vitamin junkie. I have I take a lot in really low low doses, um, and I, I take vitamins twice a day. I have them all in a pill box, and I lay them out a month's worth at a time. So it, it doesn't take me that much time to be a pill junkie that way. But, yeah, you got to supplement your diet and be conscious about the balance of it, making sure that you're getting a complete amino acid profile and, and, and a, uh, a good variety. I mean, a complete, uh, you know, RDAs, recommended daily allowances by government numbers, whatever it is. But minerals, uh, you know, vitamins, all, all the micronutrients in your food that are often either, you know, processed out, bleached out, or GMO'd out, or just, you know, by a variety of inorganic farming practices, you know, we, we end up with uh, very low nutritionally dense food, even when you buy from the grocery store uh, produce. It's not as good as it could be for nutritional quality. So the next thing, limit media exposure. We also need to be aware of what we're feeding our minds. Morgan Sting, quote, we, ha- we all have to be very cautious with our exposures to the media. There's so much stimulation and so much information, and much of it is not good news. Studies have suggested a link between viewing television after natural disasters or terrorist events and post-traumatic stress symptoms. Yeah. We really could all stand more media breaks, more time walking outside, seeing our neighbors, saying hello. Exchanging problem solving and reminding each other that we're in this together, Morganstein said. At a loss for words, if a neighbor confides in you, quote, you can say to somebody, I don't know what to say right now, but I'm glad you're sharing it, he counseled. Speaking by phone, Tweety advised setting limits on being intentional about your media consumption. For example, you could set a timer to watch TV or scroll through Twitter for 15 minutes once or twice a day. Otherwise, You could go down a rabbit hole of being on these things for hours without a purpose in mind. And often you wind up feeling worse than when you started. Remember, there's a term for this now. It's called doom scrolling. We covered that a couple weeks ago. The next part, watch for signs. To control, and this isn't signs, signs everywhere, there's signs. No, watch for signals. To control your anger, Novico said, you've got to recognize that it's happening. That means self-monitoring, being attuned. To the physical feelings, a flushed face, a racing heart, or tight muscles, perhaps, that indicate anger is approaching. So there, there's a lot of stuff that we can do in, in our own self-awareness. And, you know, I don't, I, I it's, it's funny coming from me and all these things because I've never really had any kind of anger issues. 
you know, I, I, from childhood, I, I used to say that, like, I don't even experience anger. You know, I'm, I'm able to stay in touch with, with love for other human beings. I get angry at the world. I get angry at government. I get angry at the news. I get angry at politics. And I do limit myself. You know, and, 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 and for me, the signs are more like I, I'm, I'm getting wound up in thought patterns, thought loops, things repeating themselves. And I, I don't do the doom scrolling, but I'll, I'll catch myself like obsessively researching something without a point and going, well, gee, this isn't really satisfying. It's not really productive. Why am I doing this? You know, and I'll catch myself. So we sense, when we sense those feelings, we said, we shouldn't try to suppress or deny them. Quote, I think it's important for people, when you talk about anxiety or anger, to sort of acknowledge that it's there. Oh, yes, I'm anxious right now, and that's okay. He suggests allowing yourself to feel that way for a short period of time and then moving on to either address your anger in a constructive way or engage in self-care. Next, stop and think. If you feel an impulse coming on to do something antagonistic, Novico said, you've got to think, wait a minute, is this a good idea? What are the consequences of this? How is this helpful? As Novico points out, Americans' threat perception might be off kilter at this moment in time, given the virus and the unrest in the country. We might need to remind ourselves, he said, that we've got a problem here that needs to be solved, not a threat that calls for an attack. Bushman said that another reframing strategy that works is to adopt a fly-on-the-wall perspective. Look at things from a third-person perspective rather than being immersed in the situation. Next, deal with that heightened energy. Addressing our anger involves both physiological and cognitive components, according to Bushman. Psychologically, you want to reduce the arousal state to get rid of the anger, he said through taking deep breaths or listening to calming music or counting to 10 or following Thomas Jefferson's Council 100. Uh, when your breathing is slow and regular, you're not angry and you're not anxious, Novico said. What you shouldn't do, Bushman added, is vent. So this is really important because a lot of people think that venting is helpful in dealing with anger because it's like, like that bad drug. It's that coping mechanism. It's, it's coping with the uncertainty associated with whatever is making you angry. And there always is. I mean, I can't imagine being angry and being certain about things, right? Obviously, there's some uncertainty involved in, in every kind of anger. And be, uh, letting yourself be angry and vent relieves that. It, 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 it's a drug, though. It's, it's a bad drug that makes the problem worse. What it gives you is this momentary hit, this feeling of certainty. And so as Bushman said, when you hit, kick, swear, scream, shout, punch a pillow, punch a punching bag, what you're doing is keeping the arousal levels high. Yeah, so you are priming yourself for more anger. Jeez. Sounds like a town hall? Yeah. There's a reason in, in, in times like this, too, you see a lot of members of Congress like we had, you know, in the economic crisis, like we had around the Tea Party, you know, and all these different, you know, periods. Oh, the congressional town halls are a big deal now. Everybody's showing up they, uh, to hear from and, and, and give their congressmen a piece of their mind, right? 
And if they're stoking that anger because it makes you vulnerable. It makes you very easy to manipulate. Man, I just keep loving that John Lennon quote. They will do everything to me. I, I almost, I, I feel like I got to pull this up to do it justice. But, you know, it's, it's the, the gist of it is, you know, that they will do everything they can to make you angry. They will flick your nose and pull your beard. Because anger and violence, that's their game. They know how to deal with that, and they will beat you with that game every time. What they can't handle is humor and laughter and love. And that's what this is all blocking us from, is getting in touch with love and living happy lives and being able to just be able to laugh through life and enjoy it. So... Next, distract yourself. You can also address the cognitive aspect of anger. Bushman said, angry people tend to ruminate about what made them angry. They just mull it over and over in their minds. And that just makes things worse. So if you can, distract yourself. He suggests try doing something that is incompatible with anger and aggression. And I love this. This could be petting a puppy, hugging or kissing a loved one, or helping somebody in need. And so obviously... You got to have your own thing for this, right? For some people, it's it's a mindless game on your phone, right? You feel yourself in a thought loop, and you're just like, you know what? A couple times a day, um, well, geez, I don't want to even name it. I, I play words with friends with my family, and I, I like staying in touch. So you know, I check in on words with friends a couple times a day, and it guarantees that I get a complete like mental break from whatever thought loops might be developing in my mind. Puppy, petting a puppy, it's great. We have puppies. It's, it's like. Can you be angry while petting a puppy? No, you can't. You can try it. Try, I dare you. Show me a video, Internet. It's not possible. An angry person petting a puppy. No, can't happen, right? Poor a kitten. Hugging or kissing a loved one. And, again, in relationships, this is why it's so important to be able to turn to a partner instead of turning away from them with that anger. Letting that anger, instead of being a barrier, letting your, your, your loved one be that uh, that that distraction, I hate to say distraction, but that, that, that breaking your experience of anger, and here it's even more powerful. It's not just, oh, it, it's, it's a puppy. I have to, like, love a puppy. It's, it's, it's you know, loving and connecting in, in, in a direct way, and that really you can't, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't cuddle angry. I'm so angry, I'm going to cuddle you. No, like, just obviously incompatible activities. Helping someone has the added benefit of giving you a sense of control. As Morganstein said, one of the things that can feel very overwhelming and paralyzing for people is to sit in a passive mode, especially when absorbing news or social media, helping another person reminds us that we are not helpless, we are not powerless, and there are things we can do to affect change. Next, take action. As several of these experts pointed out, anger isn't necessarily a bad thing. Most people call it a negative emotion, but virtually every movement in history has been fueled by anger because angry people want to do something about their current situation. Now, this is, like, you know, really interesting because it's not just at the social level, but the personal level, too. You might find that whatever makes you personally angry, be it a social thing or something about your past, some trauma, some abuse that you've experienced, some... You know, resentment that you have towards your parents, perhaps. You know, and if you've, if you've experienced abuse as a child, there's a lot of desire for revenge when you, when you grow up and realize what happened. 
But as my mom always told me, the best revenge is living well. And that's so important in this, too, is that, you know, like at the social level, as Buckminster Fuller said, you don't defeat the old system by fighting it, but by building the new system that renders it obsolete. And how, how much more positive is that than, like, what we're doing, again, with the garden, you know, building your own life and saying, I'm going to be conscientious about everything from the ground up and eventually declare independence. And, all right, we got the, we got the actual quote. When it gets down to, to having to use violence, then you are playing the system's game. The establishment will irritate you, pull your beard, flick your face to make you fight because once they've got you violent, then they know how to handle you. The only thing they don't know how to handle is nonviolence and humor. Thank you, CJ. Now the segment is perfect with that quote. I love it. Yes, appropriate respect for the wisdom of John Lennon. So as Novico said, in contrast to other emotions such as depression and anxiety, anger can be a powerful positive force. Anger doesn't stop you. The important thing, though, is to use it in a way that has a positive result. And Tiedon says that's happening with students who, instead of wallowing in anger, are engaging in activism. As she said, I think that is a great way of dealing with anger, and I couldn't agree with her more. Finally, consider your children. Remember that your children are watching how you are dealing with anger. Tweety said, I think it's important to be open about these sorts of things because kids are going to feel emotions as well and have to learn how to deal with it as well. Morganstein agreed, if we are feeling really angry, showing our children and helping explain to them why we're doing what we're doing can be an amazing opportunity to model something. And in the era of Rona Rage, this is the opportunity for America to channel that anger and model something for the world as we once did with the American Revolution. Perhaps it's time for another and a surge in motivation and conscientiousness from the Rona Rage may be the catalyst. And today is Tuesday, June 30th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us on Adam vs. the Man and sticking with us through that very long opener. I hope that was very fun and practical. Joining us from Phoenix today, appearing on that side of the screen, is Comment Jim Freedom. Yeah! Uh, was that... Hey, hey. Jim, I, I hope that was worthwhile. Was that was that a good segment? Well, that was, was a great comment. segment, man. I was glued yeah. to my seat the whole time. I mean, I always am anyway because I work here. But <laughs> so. yeah, uh, any good it. comments? People appreciating a little practical perspective synthesis on the news combined with some useful advice. I would hope. Yeah, yeah, they were all kind of uh, participating with you on, on your anxiety and emotion speech right there. Like Ride With Me 38 was saying, anger is a non-productive emotion. It blocks you from moving forward and being proactive and finding a solution to the problems that caused the anger in the first place. Yeah, it certainly can. It can, And, and it's, a, it's a bit of a complex, you know, emotion and being applied that way because it's – if you know the solution – 
anger can motivate you to grab it when you weren't motivated by by it, you know, before, right? But you can't it can't help you see the solution. You know, you're never going to be right. better at understanding. Re- you might be more. I mean, really, that's the only positive thing about anger is, is motivation, right? Motivation to act. But to ha- you still have to have clarity with that action, and anger will never increase your clarity by itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what Jeremy Gooding said also. He was responding to somebody else, but he was saying fear is more like a vehicle. Fear can be a good thing that keeps us on guard, or it can be weaponized, and the virus is just one of many rounds in this clip. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really, you know, it's, it, it, fear and anger as opposed to depression and anxiety, right? Whereas, like, depression and, you know, depression, just not being in a good mood for an extended period, I mean, yeah, I know there's way more to it than that. I dealt with it myself as a teenager, typically, right? And, uh, you know, the... There's no, like, upside to depression, right? You know, there's no – and anxiety, like, just worrying, going over stuff in your head over – there's no there's no upside. But both fear and anger are things that are programmed into us for good reason, right? right? And they, they, they have to be, you know, understood. Again, you can have that response. You can have that thought. You can have that underlying feeling. But emotional freedom means you never stay in that headspace. You're able to break out of it and say, okay, I'm afraid of that. Oh, that's scared. All right, so now I'm going to step back and conscientiously examine what made me afraid and how to deal with it rationally. You know, and, and, and it's, you know, if you let that get carried away, it turns into anxiety, depression, and these negative emotions and, and states with no upside. So, any, any other hot comments this morning, Jim? For sure. Uh, well, related to that, now we're moving on to uh, Pyramid 7. Earlier when you were talking about the Rona Rage, he said when you were, you were talking about going through states and having to do the two weeks, he said just identify as a COVID-19 survivor. Say <laughs> so you've already had it and you've been done with it. You don't have to quarantine because you're already you quarantined a month ago when you had it. You're free of it now. Yeah. Okay. Papers, please. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it's heading yeah. to. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's it, I, I, if, if you can afford to take the risk and maybe get away with it, but I would not rely on that strategy. CJ. <clears throat> Good morning, Jim. Can you guys hear Good me? Morning. Yep. I have a uh, clip of the day for the contest, if you don't mind, since I didn't know oh. you guys coming up with one. All right, let's let's do it. Although I, I kind of wanted to get to the Sam Tripoli bit before Walter Block, because I hate to cut Professor Block short. This is going to be a fun interview we have coming up in just a few minutes. Ten here. second clip, sir. All right, let's let's do that and see if we can squeeze in. See if we can squeeze in Tripoli. Here is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. All right. Who is that in the comments? <laughs> okay. No, that's okay. Yeah, that's that's a hard I mean, I'm like, that's way too easy. That's really good. But we're going to have to, like, level this up. Speaker, venue, and then who he's talking to. There you go. That's All right. right. 
So if every because everybody's gonna get the speaker on this one. I, I yeah, bet like ninety percent of the audience got the speaker on that one right away. All right. Do you, do you have the uh, you know we're gonna have to save the triple E clip for after uh, Walter Block because I want to give that a proper response. So we're gonna hit a couple more news stories from I guess I guess we should remind people support us on Patreon. We are live streaming on Patreon, and I don't think we really need a transition. I think we're just gonna like I, when we're ready, we just announce it, and uh, you know when we feel like it, we keep doing Patreon only show after parties where we have an uncensored space and can, can play copyrighted clips for more than 10 seconds, things like that. So, uh, yeah, we're going to announce that there's going to be a $1 Patreon option, and that will get you just access to the live show on Patreon. Our other tiers are going to stay the same. $5 gets you access to exclusive content and behind-the-scenes stuff. And a lot of that's really cool Garden of Freedom clips that Jim is getting as we're doing construction here. And, man, we are, I'm so excited about our – we're calling it the food truck, I think, or, or the rocket box, which is – or the hot rocket, which is uh, our rocket stove oven combination. Such a cool thing. You're going to – I can't wait to share with everybody. Properly unveil the video with it done. Um, and $10 a month gets you access to the Producers Club. 50, uh, and and that, that's where you get the access to the Telegram chat. You can join us behind the scenes in StreamYard, top of the line. If you ever want to call into the show, you get to hang out with Jim and CJ and me before and after the show as we're doing prep. And then you get for $50 a month co-producer status, which means you get a co-producer title, whatever you want. And front of the line for all those other things, those are our good, better, and best patron levels. So to Reuters.com. World News, Sarah Marsh writes, facing crisis, Cuba calls on citizens to grow more of their own food. In the courtyard of a temple belonging to the Abakua Afro-Cuban Religious Brotherhood in Havana, Nelson Piloto is pulling up the lawn to plant bell peppers and cassava in the case of Cuba's looming food crisis. Piloto 40 says he is responding to the communist government's call for citizens to produce more of their own food, including in big cities and whatever spaces they can find, from backyards to balconies. Standing across from two giant ceiba trees that are considered sacred by many in Cuba, the temple usually resounds with ceremonies involving drumming, animal sacrifices, and dance. But it's, it's empty now due to coronavirus lockdown restrictions on gatherings. Food security has lately risen to the top of the national agenda in Cuba with countless news headlines and televised roundtable discussions related to the topic. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot more to this story. Uh, just interesting data point to see that in some places it's already getting that bad. I'm not waiting for that. Now, if I had to be food independent here at the Garden of Freedom, we could be right now. Uh, we're not practically or have built up all of those things, but food independence is a big part of uh, this lifestyle and, and, and being more conscientious. And it's not to say that, like, you know, buying food from a system is bad, you know, but being dependent on it is a, a vulnerability that if you can eliminate, you can or you should. And having your own food grown at home 
guarantees that you're getting a, or you know, if you want organic, higher nutritional value, things like that. Um, all of those things get, you know, you can make as, as you want when you're growing food at home. It's a big part of what we're doing here, building greenhouses and planter systems into the houses that we're building. So from techdirt.com, as predicted, Parler is banning users it doesn't like. Uh, well, that did not take long at all. On Friday, we predicted that just like every other social media platform out there, the new favorite among people who falsely say that Twitter is censoring conservatives would start taking down content and shutting down accounts just like everyone else. Because if you run any sort of platform that allows third-party speech, sooner or later you discover you have to do that. In Friday's post, we highlighted Parler's terms of service, service which certainly allows for it to take down any content for any reason. We also mocked their quick read on Wikipedia-style understanding of the First Amendment. What we did not expect was that Parler would prove us right so damn quickly over the weekend. Parler was apparently busy taking down accounts. Uh, Thor Benson, and he was not the only one, a respectable lawyer, pretty much all my leftist friends joined Parler to screw with mega folks, and every last one of them was banned in less than 24 hours because conservatives truly love free speech. As Ballot Sari tweeted there or posted, I was banned from Parler because I called them out on their sketchy legal tactics, shoving legal fees onto users, requiring driver's licenses, and abusing pornography laws. Truth is coming for you, Parler, and she's got a big stick named Karma. Oh, yeah, it goes on and on. And, yeah, I I told you, I, like, I, I said this as soon as I heard about it, like, well, I'll wait, it sounds cool, but, like, I, I'm not going to waste time investing in this. And right away you go, well, there you go. Not really a free speech platform. And I don't think we're really going to have that on the Internet until, you know, we have blockchain-based social media truly decentralized and censorship-free. When we have it on centralized servers, it's always going to be prone to manipulation control because it's going to be vulnerable to someone suing somebody or being angry at the person posting it. You can't get angry at code that everybody is using independently because they don't want to be censored. And I hope that's coming soon. I, I can't say, oh, my gosh, this is right around the corner. But for now, there are workarounds, and like with what we're doing with this podcast, being able to go to just private broadcasts live on uh, on on Patreon, at least that gives us the opportunity to have uncensored content on the internet. So we go now to uh, to our guest, uh, CJ. Do we have Professor Block with us? He appears to be uh, calling me, actually, and I can't take the call while we are on screen. Yeah, no, um, Adam, I uh, sent I sent him an email link to the backstage here, just like I do everybody else, and uh, yeah. It's, so uh, Marcus, so Marcus sent me a text that says Walter needs CJ to give him a, a to call him and give him a walkthrough through Streamyard. Can you uh, do that? Very, very simple. I will call him and uh, help him out. All right, so I'll we'll just I'll I'll keep Jim here and uh, maybe hit a story that doesn't require any kind of visual. So, Jim, any new comments? 
Oops, uh, CJ was on a call. <laughs> he clicked me on. I clicked it off uh, since we both have access. Yeah, yeah, the comments were just uh, – I go, we got Chris Gannon, who is guessing – has a guess for the video contest. Did I run that? Okay. Until later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what, I mean – Obviously, well, no, they, I knew guess... it was, they knew the name. No, no. So we'll say we'll save all the answers from this one, okay? No answers until we take we take them all at the end at once. And if 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 only one person gets the name, you win. By the way, you get to win membership to the producers club, valued at ten dollars a month for life. And uh, we got so if, if if only one person guesses the name, they win. If multiple people guess the name, whoever guesses the the venue. And and it was the best answer for the venue. And, you know, I'm not even going to say what the format of, uh, you know, what this is from is, because that that would be too much of a clue. But if you say all of that completely, and then who he's talking to in that clip, that would be the next tiebreaker. And if if people get all of those by the end of the show, um, and I don't think we should play the clip again. You got to, we got to have it from memory and be ready to go. I don't want people like typing this out. I mean, I'm just gonna Google the exact words. If you remember part of it, you know, you you can figure it out. I'm yeah, we got a couple guesses, so we'll we'll be good to get to those. Uh, one more thing, just to kill some time before while CJ's helping this guy out uh, on YouTube, hung like Tic Tacs. Have you mm-hmm. talked? <laughs> have you talked about Molly New being banned off of YouTube yet? No, someone uh, mentioned that to me yesterday on Twitter. I was like, no word about Molyneux, the you know the, the greatest advocate of the non-aggression. And I'm like, um, he's a Trump supporter. Like, hard to, hard to really call him up. What he's trying to say, he's a great anarchist. And I'm like, yeah, anarchists for Trump. That's not confusing. No, but I, I love Stefan. I think he's still... You know, a, a great mind and, and analyst and, and presenter in, in a lot of ways. And he's woken a lot of people up. Um, but uh, I and I asked them to send me a link. They sent me a link. If someone wants to send me a good link about that. Um, but, yeah, thoughts about Stefan Molyneux being banned from YouTube? Uh, I don't know. What was the basis? I I have no idea. They just said that was all the question said. Wait, I thought the first thing about being banned from YouTube is you're not allowed to talk about being banned from YouTube. Yeah. We'll be talking we don't about want to get banned. Be- <laughs> Speaking right. of, the CJ's uh, clip that you were just playing there, he scrolled down. Now, I, I couldn't tell if that was a statue or not, but is that going to constitute uh, having to click the nudity thing on YouTube's censorships thing? <laughs> A public oh, no, statue no. with a penis in the open that that people walk right. by. You can't. Yeah, you probably no can't problem. put that on YouTube. Right, if you show it YouTube, on YouTube, YouTube is less pro free speech than the American government. The American government will at least let you look at statue penises in public. YouTube will not, and that's a shame. Um, yeah, hey, so the, another story I wanted to get to, Jim, you might have some interesting thoughts on this. This is from The Sun. Zap, U.S. Marines' new weapon can electrocute enemies from 300 feet away and is so dangerous they had to make it less deadly. So it's this is really crazy. The And, and I, I should wait for CJ because there's a cool graphic on this one. But um, the Spectre shotgun, it... it 
fires a special projectile from a 12-gauge shotgun, and it has a sensor in it so that it deploys a parachute right before it hits the target so that it slows the speed of the projectile, and then within a meter of the target, it shoots out three electrode darts, and the darts penetrate clothes and skin and electrocute the target. Now, this is because, you know, a 12-gauge shotgun slug, yeah. when you have this device that can, the standard 12-gauge shotgun, that can propel a device, right? And and this is where military technology is. And in a way, I look at this and I'm like, oh, your tax dollars at work, more dumb toys for the military. But actually, I'm really excited about this because I've been saying, you know, we are going to have developments in non-lethal technology, uh, non-lethal weaponry to subdue people without killing them. And I think that in terms of human progress or preservation of life in general, how many conflicts with police officers, you know, this is, I know this is a bit of a leap, but. A lot of cops think, oh, well, I'm, if I'm in proximity, in certain situations I can tase someone, but if they're running away and I have to shoot them, i got to use my gun. Yeah. And I can see never shoot. There's really already, you know, we, we have helicopters. We have search. We have overwhelming force with the police. Unless they're running to murder someone, there's no excuse for a cop to shoot someone in the back. But when they really, if they feel that they need to stop them, it would, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if they had a... Uh, if they have this weapon, uh, an electric shotgun, I my 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 initial first thought is it's a device that's coming out of a shotgun shell. Number one, what's going to be the failure rate on the parachute opening? You know what I mean, and the and it not deploying. Okay, so then it's like a bad rubber bullet. Oh, uh, would it would it be? I, I mean, it might be able to cause more damage than that if it's a metal, you know. You can put a rubber tip on it that has three holes in it for your projectiles to shoot out, and so that if it does hit something, it doesn't hit with uh, you know it's, metal. Contact. To answer your question, obviously it's better than them being inclined to reach for their gun to shoot them in the back. Right. No, and I'm not saying that this is the ultimate answer. Obviously, we can improve on it. It's an improvement that we can improve on further. Right. And and what I was predicting before is that you'd have something that would be more like a laser beam that you could shoot and it would go out straight to an infinite distance and you could somehow send electricity, you know, through a straight through the air without the the effect of a projectile having to be like a heavy thing carrying an electric load and dropping, you know, over the shot and having to deploy a parachute and then shooting out prongs or, you know, something like that. Yeah. But I, I just see this as like a major leap in the technology and I'm like, why are the Marines getting this? You know, like, where, where like, you know, uh, so it says in, in this article how non-lethal weapons like tasers are useful to riot police and other law enforcement officers who need to take down violent people from a distance. However, the U.S. Army and Marine Corps are increasingly kidding soldiers out. That's a British term, kidding, kidding them out. Uh, they use the word kit, you know, like to describe a lot more, like your your uh, clothing and sports, things like that. It's like your kit. Uh, they they use it way more than in the, in American English. So 
kidding soldiers out with the weapons to subdue unruly individuals without killing them. Some experts expressed concern that the specter weapon could seriously injure those it's fired at. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, if, if you're the, in the Marines, you know, in, in some kind of combat crowd control, although part of the, the scare, there is a scary element of this too, is that Marines would be deployed into the United States for crowd control again, which is, you know, happened uh, in the Vietnam era. And as we saw with National Guard troops at Kent State for student protesters shot uh, protesting the Vietnam War. If you're going to deploy troops, like, to the United States for crowd control, yeah, please, give them non-lethal weapons. And, uh, you know, this is, this is really exciting. So, CJ, if you want to go back to the article that I sent you the link of from, from the Sun. Oh, there's an even better. That, that CJ, I think you just pulled up that photo of oh, the, the... I was doing there. that. My bad. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, that was... I thought, you had, I thought CJ was back because I was doing that while you were talking. <laughs> no, man. That, okay, that's... So he's still with Walter. That's good. But if that was... That was awesome. That that photo that you pulled up there. You want to do that again with that that round with the parachute? Because that I mean, you, you get to see what what we're talking about here, where you've got a cylindrical projectile with some kind of rifling that makes it spin. I would I would assume, or not rifling. It's called some rifling is when the inside of the of the bore has a spiral cut out of it, or rifling. Yeah. Uh, but a shotgun is a smooth bore, and so a ridge. Uh, in a spiral on the round like that would cause it to have the same rotational effect in, in firing that would give it a straighter trajectory. But, I, I mean, I, I wonder how they solve the problem of you deploy the parachute and then the angle of the round has to drop immediately, right? Yeah. Like, or do, does it does it sense – I mean, here, I, the article didn't really say, but maybe as it goes out – well, no, it, it does say here. It says, it. well, no, it says number two, the parachute deploys right before hitting target to slow the speed of the projectile, and then within a meter it shoots out three electro darts. It could shoot out the darts at full speed and then deploy the parachute or sort of simultaneously deploy the parachute and, you know, deploy the darts so the darts go forward and the round goes down. Also, they keep their momentum, but it stops. Uh, it basically just right. stops and pulls the casing out from the things and lets the projectiles continue forward. Or that, yeah. It could, it could, uh, they probably have a little spring-loaded thing in them. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So this article also has some... Uh, other terrifying space weapons of the future. Here are three of the scariest. One, Rods from God, a strange but utterly terrifying weapon has been dubbed Rods from the God and is based on the concept of creating man-made meteorites that can be guided towards the enemy. Instead of using rock rods the size, instead of using rocks, rods the size of telephone poles are deployed. These would be made out of tungsten, a rare metal that can stand the intense heat generated by entering Earth's atmosphere. One satellite fires the rods towards the Earth's atmosphere, while the other steers them to a target on the ground. Reaching speeds of 7,000 miles per hour, they hit the ground with the force of a small nuclear weapon, but crucially creating no radiation fallout. 
As bizarre as it sounds, U.S. Congressional, a U.S. congressional report recently revealed the military has been pushing ahead with the kinetic space weapons. That's crazy. Dropping tungsten rods from orbit to create meteorites. We're going to just drop them on your head. Holy crap. I wouldn't be surprised if they started making them out of depleted uranium, too. Molten metal cannons being developed by Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the infamous DARPA, called a Magneto Hydrodynamic Explosive Munition, or MAYHEM. This game-changing railgun can fire a jet of molten metal hurled through space at several, several hundred miles per second by the most powerful electromagnets ever built. The molten metal can then morph into an aerodynamic slug during flight and pierce through another spacecraft or satellite and a munition explodes inside. The next Space Force ships, already the U.S. is powering ahead with its spacecraft, although China is busy developing one of their own. Gonna weaponize space! It's like, uh, you guys remember that scene from uh, it was Deep Impact? Right, the uh, wasn't that weird? Hollywood made two movies about meteors destroying the Earth at the same time: Deep Impact and Armageddon. And it was like two giant producers in a pissing contest or something. Like, oh yeah, I can make a better movie about a meteor destroying the Earth than you can. Of course, Armageddon was the better one, but in Deep Impact, no, it was Armageddon, right? Yeah, with Bruce Willis, yeah. he goes up and yeah. they're drilling into the meteor to blow it up, and then there's that one guy from the army who loses his shit and pulls out a gun and and I think it's Steve Buscemi, right, who like yeah, loses yeah. his mind up there. And I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel the power between my legs riding on the ball. <laughs> and the guy pulls out the gun and he's like pointing at people, like, there's no guns in space. What are you doing? And it's like, uh well sorry, there's guns in space now. Um which is you know, I in, in this sense, yes, very unfortunate. You would think by the time we really developed common space travel, we'd have better means of conflict resolution or subduing people without killing them. So it's funny, at the same time as this, we're getting this, like, non-lethal shotgun development, which, I, again, I really hope that that technology keeps going, that we see a further demand for non-lethal weapons. And I, I think we will. I think this is, this is a, a pretty exciting, positive development. All right, is, is uh, CJ back with us with uh, Professor Block? Do you see him in the in the backstage? Uh, he's still on the phone, uh, dealing, trying to help him out. So he is not backstage yet. CJ's still on the phone, trying to help him out. All right, no problem. Moving ahead, ExchangeWire.com, United States Department of Justice closes in on Google brands halt spending on Facebook ads. In today's Exchange Wire News Digest. The U.S. Department, Department of Justice is reportedly making the final preparations to bring a lawsuit against Google. Facebook sees several big-name brands depart for July as the argument over the site's stance towards inflammatory content continues. And peers from the House of Lords call on MPs to impose tougher regulation to reduce fake news. Interesting package of stories here. Just want to see what is this antitrust investigation into Google widely anticipated will lead to a lawsuit within months. The specific allegations of the expected lawsuit are unknown, 
But the concerns driving the probe are well established. Google's dominance of the online ad market has been a contentious issue for some time, with complaints against the firm's anti-competitive behavior spring a number of previous investigations. You know, this is this is like uh, remember they, they they did this with Microsoft. What was it? Uh, I remember like I think I was a kid when I saw this 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 cartoon, and it's got. Uh, you know, Microsoft is this, like, super advanced, like, empire from Star Wars death ship, you know, floating over the surface of the planet. And then it's got this cop in, like, a Model T Ford from 1915 pulling up behind him with his little siren on, writing him a ticket saying, oh, you were going a mile over the speed limit. And it's, like, kind of ignoring the reality that the same government that sent the cop the right Microsoft this you know ticket, which was you know, a slap on the wrist kind of thing, is the government that made it possible for Microsoft to become as dominant as as it has. And I suppose a little bit less so now uh, than although obviously Windows still the dominant operating system. Uh, so the Facebook ads, this thing is continuing a. Um, Sort of boycott from Coca-Cola, Levi's, and Hershey. I, I guess it's it's a it's an unofficial boycott. I don't know if there's an either. I'll bet Facebook at any given point in time always has a number of boycotts being organized against it. But now it's Coca-Cola, Levi's, and Hershey. Uh, also Verizon. We covered the other day. Social media saw stock, the behemoth saw its stock price tumble eight percent after the holdings giant Unilever announced that it would full advertising last Friday with a plethora of other brands following suit. This figure could multiply dangerously. And, of course, this is from the civil rights groups calling for a boycott um, for the month of July. Um, hashtag Stop Ate for Profit was the name of the campaign, asking brands to leave the site to protest against Facebook's refusal to take tougher action on hate speech. However, not all of the boycotting brands indicated any affiliation with the movement. And this um, this is happening at a time of general economic contraction. And the things that people are over-invested in are going to contract the most, obviously. You know, real estate being a big one. Corporate stocks, the next big one. Uh, Facebook lost, what, with 8%, $60 billion, I read somewhere, in its value. Or Mark Zuckerberg personally lost $60 billion, dropping from, like, the world's third to fifth most richest. Um, and there's other people gloating over little things like that. Uh, but overall, is this really going to affect the momentum of Facebook? I mean, I, I hope so. I, I don't think this get, is like, oh, great, now we have, a, you know, uh, we have we have a new drive for decentralized social media. No, I don't, I don't think it's getting to that. UK peers demand crackdown on fake news. A House of Lords Committee on Democracy and Digital Technologies has called on MPs to impose stricter regulations on digital and social media. The committee urged Minister to replace current rules around online political advertising with the online harms bill in order to tackle the pandemic of misinformation and disinformation, end quote, sparked by the coronavirus. 
So, yeah, this is something that we see as a basic dynamic of governments all around the world going, oh, fake news, ah, we now have an excuse to moderate the Internet. Next story related comes from the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, by the way. Zuckerberg once wanted to sanction Trump, then Facebook wrote rules that accommodated him. Hours after President Trump's incendiary post last month about sending the military to the Minnesota protests, Trump called Facebook chief executive Mark Zuckerberg. The post put the company in a difficult position, Zuckerberg told Trump, according to people familiar with the discussions. The same message was hidden by Twitter, Twitter, the strongest action ever taken against a presidential post. Now, in the past, Twitter has fact-check-marked a couple of the president's tweets, right, about online or uh, mail-in ballots being more fraudulent or prone to fraud. Um, Jim, was there anything else they did on, on Twitter? Um before this? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay, so maybe, so this was the, that was, that was, I think, one of the few that were ever had that, or, or maybe the only ones. It was, it was two posts together. Um, but hidden, but this one, totally hidden by Twitter, Twitter, like actually taken down. That's crazy. To Facebook's executives in Washington, the posts didn't appear to violate its policies which allows leaders to post about government use of force if the message is intended to warn the public. But it came right up to the line. The deputies had already contacted the White House earlier in the day with an urgent plea to tweak the language of the post or simply delete it. Please don't make us have consistent rules. We wouldn't know what to do. So, yeah, this, but this does really, like, I, I, I'm kind of sympathetic for... Like, it's not Zuckerberg himself reading the president's tweets every day or Facebook posts, right? It's someone there who has to read him and go, does this qualify as a threat of force, an incitement of force, or warning about government use of force? Or, or could it be all of the above? And if that's the case, well, please tweak the language so that it's clear. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. But isn't that just one measure of what a crazy world we live in? Facebook censors contacting the president, or at least the White House, to say, please make it easier for us to be able to censor people on our platform by not being a high-profile example that exposes the impossibility of doing that consistently. All right, Mr. Abernathy. Let's just say that uh, technology is not as easy for some as it is for others. And uh, yeah, at this point, I would say it's best we're going to have to reschedule uh, Walter here. Um, and, uh, you know, I did tell him if he can figure out how to log in, uh, that I will see him pop up and we'll get cool. him right on. But other than that, uh, you know, that's, that's where we're at. So I just figured I'd let you know that part. All right, well, just jumping right back into it, man. We've been having fun with headlines. I guess before we get back into it here, well, we have one more social media headline. Twitch from Bloomberg, Twitch suspends Trump's account for hateful content, conduct. Uh, Twitch and Reddit Inc. banned content linked to President Trump for violating their rules against encouraging hate. Twitch, Amazon Inc.'s live streaming site temporarily banned Trump's account 
for reposting a 2016 speech in which he characterized Mexicans as rapists in a more recent speech in which he conjured up the image of an evildoer breaking into a house. This is so dumb. And so political. Like, the tw- this is the, I, I, I don't know if Trump knew that this one lie in this one speech was going to get him so much media. I mean, this basically made the mainstream media fall in love with hating him, which basically meant falling in love with giving him free airtime. And it was, he said, you know, they're sending rapists. They're sending murderers. They're not sending their best people. And he said, the, the, the liberal media, I don't know, there's, there's got to be like some kind of setup. There's some other element to like, why did they run with this stupid line? Because Trump's point in and of itself is true. And it's that they're sending. They're not sending rapists. Obviously, that he's being metaphorical. But uh, who's coming from Mexico as illegal immigrants? Is it their best people who are doing really well there? No, obviously it's not. Is there some criminal element to it? Yeah, obviously there is. He didn't say all of them. He didn't say all Mexicans. Or he didn't say, look, there's so many rapists among Mexicans. No. He was just making a point about the kind of people who are coming across the border illegally, differentiating them from the general population. And, you know, did he do it? He didn't, I mean, I've been, like, I'm not offended. I like to say I'm not offended by anything really, right? But I, I'm, I'm sort of more, metaphorically speaking, I'm more offended by a lot of other, you know, sort of just demeaning and hateful things that, that Trump has done and said, like, like mocking the, the disabled words of, Oh, no, 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 like actually mocking uh, a disabled reporter. Uh, you know, that's, that's really just hateful and demeaning. His comment in that 2016 speech wasn't. Like, why did that line get run with? Um, but now this is their excuse for banning him. And, I mean, it's just going to get him more support from his loyal base. Look, our president is being fought by these liberal platform owners and social media. All right, so we got a nice little pile of headlines left to get through today, but before we do that, let's check in with our comments again. Jim Freedom, Freedom coming to us from Phoenix, Arizona. By the way, Jim, um, you want to tell us the story about the fire yesterday? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I have a... uh... Uh, video. I already posted it to my YouTube too, so I can pull that up if you want. It's. I was going down the 69. Uh, I actually took a little bit of video before, you know, on uh, I believe it's called Fane Road. After you go past that Maverick gas station where you turn right to come up right. the 69. Well, I saw it way over there, and, and like a ways out, I saw the smoke. Took a little video. Said, "Oh, I wonder if I'll pass that." And I, as I'm driving. Down 69, getting closer to the 17, this fire just keeps looking like it's dead right in front of me, and I'm heading right to it. And I was like, oh, boy. And, of course, there were a couple signs real close that said the 17 was closed. There was ridiculous amounts of traffic, and they closed it right at the 17, about a half a mile away, and they had everybody turning around and going back north on the 69. So where they had us turn around, I just parked my van there and got out on the hill next to the highway and pulled my tripod out to get some good footage of it because that's what I do. <laughs> so I so caught a little bit of the fire plane. But it's it's burning. It was burning like crazy. I don't know how long if they got it contained or what because obviously I ended up leaving. But 
Well, well, the rumor here was that the 17, which runs north, south, we really don't know, from Phoenix to Flagstaff, and when we're going from our place, which is an hour west of Flagstaff, we have to we, we meet up with the 17 for the second half of the drive. The rumor was that the 17 was closed and, and you weren't able to get to Phoenix. Was that what happened with that? Uh, well, I was able to get to Phoenix. I'm I'm able to get anywhere. I just had to take a detour, obviously. After I was done videoing. I went back into Meyer, the little town that's right there, and there's a street. Uh, it's dirt road. It was literally, I don't know, 10, 11 miles maybe of dirt road to go around the backside of one of the mountains to meet up with the 17 down at the uh, Bumblebee entrance. You know what I mean? Or actually, it was right before the Bumblebee entrance, the Bloody Basin, rather. Mm. Uh, All right, yeah. sir. Uh, you want to pull up the video real quick and explain what we're looking at? Uh, yeah, sure. It's just, uh, it's, uh, I only got it set for like 30 seconds just to show the fire. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool for people who are watching and, and you can describe it for people who are listening. Uh, th- this little clip that you got with the plane swooping, go, go ahead and, and narrate the clip for people, please. Okay, it's only a minute here. I'll just. It was super windy out there, obviously, so I had no choice there, but. That's probably why the fire was going, because it was so windy. And you can see there was a plane coming in from the right over here. It'll come into the frame any second. I got, The plane was circling over the top of me as I was taking this, but you couldn't even hear it because of the wind. There it comes on the right. That's a full-size, like, 747 or whatever they are, huge. And he was flying so low. See, I got the, the zoom-in shot here. There he comes. He thought he had to get so low to get that fire. You can see it just by the American flag there. There's the drop. It was just so crazy. And then I think I zoomed out here, maybe. And it was burning all the way until after I left. So... It's a cool shot, man. That's a really cool way the plane just banks in there. And What is that stuff that it's dropping? Obviously, some kind of fire retardant. Fire retardant, know? yeah. I don't know specifically what uh, what it is, what it's made of, but obviously it's it's a fire retardant. I was thinking it was cool because I've never seen one of those in person. I've seen plenty of video on you know online of them firefighters fighting major fires like that, but this is the first time I've ever seen one in person, and it's a, it's a trip. Yeah, I hope I'm not wrong in assuming that that stuff is safe and non-toxic. If they were dropping it any closer to me, I would definitely want to know for sure. Yeah, now, yeah, fair it, enough. Yeah, it's um, probably pretty heavy, though, in the, in that it's concentrated to make it fall where they want it to fall and stay there. I, I doubt it's – I mean, I guess some of it would be aerosols. You know, it would have to just by nature of it, <laughs> you know. You, uh, we, we should look that up. We got a comment on screen there. Yeah, he's, he, Chris Gannon, he's saying, dude, that's awesome. I've never actually seen that in action. That's mm-hmm. what I was saying. I had never seen it either. It is a trip watching it first thing. It, it was dropping COVID on the fire. <laughs> <laughs> got to get rid of all that extra COVID you got stockpiled somehow. Like, why not just drop it on the fire and then it'll spread out at the same time? It's a genius plan. Really they dig what that heat, heat is supposed to kill it. 
or spread it, one or the other. I don't, I don't know. All right, but hey, CJ. So CJ is a friend. Excuse me. Our producer CJ is also a fan of Sam Tripoli. I am not a regular listener of the Tinfoil Hat podcast that he hosts. I've been a guest. I've got some great clips from it. I'm a regular fan of his stand-up, and I actually have a Pandora station on my phone set to Sam Tripoli Radio. And uh, great dude. I've gotten to do a debate with him in person in L.A. Uh, You know, he's a great guy. And, uh, you know, I, I consider him a friend of mine. Trying to get him to come out here and visit us at the Garden of Freedom. But, CJ, you're a regular listener of the Tinfoil Hat podcast, correct? Yeah, actually, I have made a hat that is out of tinfoil. <laughs> I listen to everything that they put out, uh, uh, minus the daily doses. I've been busy doing this while they're busy doing that. So occasionally I'll catch some of that. But, uh, no, the main podcast and what they've done with their evolution and from, like, start to finish, I've been watching. And I, I guess you could say I'm a fan for sure, a fanboy nonetheless. All right. And you caught a clip of Sam talking about the Libertarian Party and movement the other day that, that I think deserves some response. Why don't you roll that tape, please? so interesting because like once again the libertarian party is focusing on uh one payer health care with the notion that if the government comes in and when i talk about libertarian i am talking about the leadership not the base the base is just like most groups probably wants love and respect and everybody it's these ba- it's these leaders of all these parties that are completely corrupt taking all the money being blackmailed into what they're doing and we, you know, so the Libertarian Party has focused on health care and, and everybody, you know, wanting to have, a, you know, one payer, which I say, go look at the VA and find out how that works out. Uh, but we need a, a, a free a free market, meaning I need we need to have people competing for your business, but we don't have that. But they focus on that and they don't focus on the fact that why can't a company Get off the ground that is trying to be a social media like like BitChute, Gab. And even though I don't necessarily agree with everything that the, the, the guy who owns Gab and his thoughts are, but why can why are the numbers on there so low? And why are you trying to tell me that, you know, uh, YouTube, ESPN's, uh, you know, first take getting 10 million views when they can't even get off? like more than a couple hundred thousand people to watch it on television where you just got to turn it on. And like, why isn't the Libertarian Party going off on that? Why are they only going off on Medicare, Medicare and health care that the rich pigs make all their money off of? What are your thoughts on that? And I'm just, well, why am I yelling at you? <laughs> uh, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> It's okay, Sam. You have plenty of reason to be angry right now, although I I, I don't think you're yelling at me personally, obviously. Now, first of all, this focusing on single payer. You know, it is important for us as libertarians. I think most libertarians go, you know, hey, we, we really need to oppose further socialization of medicine. 
and going to single payer would be a problem. But I don't even hear, like, I don't know who he's referring to. I mean, is, is you know, our, our presidential candidates, uh, no. Dr. Joe Jorgensen and, and Spike Cohen, are they, you know, folks? I don't, I don't think so, and certainly not in, inappropriately so. Now, sidebar on this, even as a libertarian, you know, when, we, when I, I can look at things realistically, because people try to compare, well, look at this country. They have single payer and they have better health out- outcomes than in the United States. And it's true. If you're going to have socialized medicine, make it efficient, right? And single payer is better than corporate socialized medicine like we have today. A truly voluntary system, would, which would not be entirely cutthroat free market, right? Because the market demands also ways of insurance and pooling risk and lots of charity and community-based health and helping people out. And we would be funding those things more effectively, more efficiently with a purely, at least market principle-based system that says those things have to be founded voluntarily. But Sam's point is that the leadership of the libertarian movement and parties are talking about this too much. Now, he did point out, and I'm with him on the conspiracy here because I've, I've, I've seen enough of the, the, you know, the, the blanket over the elephant in the corner of the room to go, oh, yeah, there's blackmail, there's manipulation, there's threats. But it's not to, like, change the messaging to talk about single-payer health care more than, you know, the – the underlying business competition issues that he want, would rather us talk about. And I, I agree with him fundamentally on this. We should be talking about that more and more than the single-payer thing. Sam might be looking at certain things in the politicized realm where people want to talk about issues that respond to voters based on surveys. And, seeing, you know, and, and they go, well, uh, if voters care about health care, what's the libertarian position on health care? In terms of immediate political issues, well, libertarians oppose single payer, so they, you know, it, you know, maybe there's some corruption saying let's focus on issues where we align with conservatives because it's easier for the mainstream to diminish libertarians as being a type of right winger or part of the Republican Party. And to be fair, as much as I love Dr. Ron Paul, he did set us up, and I don't think there's no criticism of him at all. But it's a consequence of his very successful strategy was the affiliation of libertarians with with the right when really we are neither left nor right at all. So there there might be some manipulation there if you're looking at like, I don't know, Cato Institute policy papers or what Rand Paul is talking about or, you know, who knows what other yeah, sure. Like if you if you look at that, you might you know, you might see certain things that would give you this uh, false impression. And one of the things I did that he said that it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, like the leaders, and there aren't really any leaders, you know, and you have to be more precise, Sam, and say, well, certain prominent libertarians, and, and, and that might get you to more what we're talking about or what, what, you're, sort of what, you're, what you're trying to say here. But, you know, don't focus on business competition. Like we do focus on, business competition. I, we talk about that every single day in the show. And, may, you know, the other thing about what Sam says is, is the base. It's kind of interesting to look at the libertarian movement as, like any other movement, there are leaders and there are followers and volunteers and activists and people of different degrees of, of involvement. But there's one key thing that differentiates us 
in being a kind of leaderless movement and that it really is baked into the message of libertarianism when we say you own yourself that means you lead yourself you can follow you lead yourself to follow somebody but it's by your choice you have that fundamental sovereignty and free will respected and inherent in your humanity recognized by libertarianism and celebrated and promoted by it so CJ, anything else that you, that you wanted to point out about Sam's comments? Well, okay, so the reason why I bring this up is because, one, I've ran for office and I'm currently running for office uh, with the Libertarian Party. You have ran for president for the Libertarian Party. And so to hear him go, and I love Sam Tripoli, make no mistake about it, uh, but to hear him just pull our party out and then go, you know, this is what the LNC, I I have a, 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 a an, uh you, we got you here, Adam, saying, well, there's COINTEL Pro and teaching us about that and learning about that subject. And then there's him over here saying the LNC is, is doing this and focusing in this way. And I'm, and I'm watching this going like, man, it sounds like it's just as corrupt as the DNC and the RNC. And how do we explain this to people when I don't think that he's right when we say we focus on one issue that is controlled by all of us. And I mean, right. for example, this morning, I went through the – I got a letter from the libertarian side that wants to abolish the abortion blank, and we went through this whole article this morning. There's a whole ton of issues that we as libertarians address with, so I, I just felt like boxing us in like that was, was the incorrect way to, to – uh, and I think he's separating that from the base that just wants to be loved. But where I'm saying is is that this is kind of something that – I think that he could I mean, he could have taken it a hundred different ways, and it's for me it was like, why go after the Libertarian Party that way? But if it is the LNC, and, and you see what they're doing with coronavirus, and you see what they're doing in response to this, and you see that everybody's questioning, I have a non-refundable plane ticket, I have a non-refundable uh, uh, Airbnb for Orlando, we have people that have already booked the same, this was the will of the delegates, and you see just this morning the LNC they're signed to disregard the vote of the delegates and just cancel the whole event through manipulation by not doing the proper contract with the place it was originally scheduled. Now they got to move it. And I'm watching all this stuff and I'm going, what if you're both right? And that's where I'm trying to say, like, what if you're both right? And then we as delegates have to show up in Orlando, whether that's in a public square or, or that's in a fancy dancy, re you know, resort. Um, I, I'm all for showing up in the public square and, and, and taking away the control that these people are putting us in, boxing us in. They're forcing Internet government onto us through the Libertarian Party is my guess. But, it, I mean, I, so to hear it coming from both people, I listen to this show, obviously, every day. I listen to the, every episode of, of Tinfoil Hat. And it just makes me go, man, our party, like, we got some cleaning to do. And, and I don't really know what the solution is other than to show up in Orlando with, with a guillotine, short of a guillotine. <laughs> no, no, CJ. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, I the do... way you guys talk, I'm like, do we need a guillotine? No, but I do know the answer, CJ. And I told Sam that I would support him being a delegate to National, and, and he didn't get involved. You know, and th when I say there are a lot of people in the movement with different levels of involvement, he represents one element, one demographic there of comedian media producers who are very smart and talented and, and passionate, 
but looking at the political stuff somewhat detached. And I want to get him to step in just a little bit more and show him that there's not a single complaint about the Libertarian Party that wouldn't be solved by the complainer showing up and doing something about it. Even if you didn't like the presidential nominee, one person can make a huge difference in that campaign. And it's about the long term building the movement and building the party. And it's, it's, it's going to feel like a struggle at times butting up against the, that corruption, banging your head against the wall. It's going to be, it's going to feel like a slog. It's going to feel like a grind. It's going to feel hopeless. But only if you don't remember why you're doing it. So let's get Sam on here and remind him why he cares about freedom. I think and you put see if we can get a, get a commitment from him to be a delegate to the Libertarian National Convention in 2024 and to be involved enough in the party between now and then to guarantee himself one of those positions because it's not that hard. So, Sam, if you ever get to watch this, uh, I hope to have you on the show here very soon. What was that comment there, CJ? Is that related? I don't know. I think Jim pulled a CJ on me and put a comment on the screen. So I guess I'll read it for you as comment, Jim, or comment CJ. Oh, this is, this is about the, uh, well, well, yeah, this is, Jim, go ahead and read this. This is about the, the convention as, as, as you mentioned it, CJ. Nick said this morning live, if you are coming to the convention in Florida, you will be wearing a mask or you can go back to your room and participate online. Mm-hmm. Bad, right? He's talking about Nick Sarwark, right? The yeah, now, is this, is this the result? Of, <laughs> is this the result? Nice one, CJ. Is this the result of a vote of the LNC or is this Nick just making stuff up as he goes along. This is Nick showing that even the LNC can turn corrupt and and disregard the will of the delegates. And on that note, sir, that's all I've got. Well, it's all the more reason. we, You know, CJ, so what's the answer? The answer is Sam motherfucking Tripoli coming into the party and making some noise and being a big, beautiful, powerful voice for freedom. So I think that would go a long ways at least. Real quick, All sorry, right. sir. Didn't mean to interrupt, but we have a super chat. All right, super chat. Yeah. Jumping on the front Native on, keep teaching the truth and sharing knowledge. All right, thank you very much. Moving so we've on. got we've got twelve minutes left. I got a few news stories. I think we can breeze through, get to some good news, and uh, then see if anybody wants to call in. If we have anybody uh, in, in the back room, so. To CBS News, extreme delays for millions of taxpayers. IRS Millions of American taxpayers are still waiting for the IRS to process their federal income tax return and waiting to receive their refunds, according to a new report from National Taxpayer Advocate Aaron Collins. Collins said in a report to Congress the IRS had a backlog of 4.7 million returns for the 2019 tax year as of mid-May, which is delaying refunds for many taxpayers who filed a 2019 paper return and are entitled to returns, return, refunds, may be in for a long wait. Yeah, thanks to coronavirus, we get to hold on to your money longer. 
All right, so the next story from CNBC.com. Nearly half the U.S. population is without a job, showing how far the labor recovery has to go. Well, the government would stop suppressing employment to create an artificial unemployment crisis. That, that would help, but no, here it is. The, or the employment to population ratio, that is the number of employed people as a percentage of the U.S. adult population, plunged to 52.8% in May, meaning 47.2% of Americans are jobless. As the coronavirus-induced shutdown tore through the labor market, the share of population employed dropped sharply from a recent high of 61.2% in January, farther away from a post-war record of 647 uh, according to Torsten Schloch, Deutsche Bank's chief economist, quote, to get the employment to population ratio back to where it was at its peak in 2000, we need to create 30 million jobs. Now, that's not just like creating, I mean, the jobs kind of are there, well, a lot of them, the, the thing is like now, you can't just press pause on a business and then press pause again and expect it to just keep playing smooth. That's that's not how reality works. That's not how jobs work. You know, if a job is taken out because of the forced unemployment crisis, well, if, the, if it's, if you're, you know, bartender, server, you know, you work somewhere for a month or you don't work at your place of, of, of your of business for a month, all right, all right, you know, then uh, you maybe you can come back. But three months? And even with the reopening, like we saw with the tattoo shop where California State LP Chair Mimi Robeson just got uh, the last tattoo that they will ever uh, ever do there because they're shutting down. Like, they just, it's not sustainable anymore. Uh, so these businesses, the lockdown, the, 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 even though it's, it's flat, the curve of tyranny is more or less flattened, you know, you, businesses can't survive the up-down, up-down that we're experiencing right now. Investors will look to this week's June jobs report for an update on the pace of the labor market recovery. So next we go to GreenwichTime.com from the Washington Post, how the Fed is driving savers to riskier investments. The Federal Reserve is getting lots of love from the financial markets because it's lowered the short-term rates that it controls to just about zero and has figured out inventive ways to drive long-term rates to ultra-low levels and get some formerly troubled parts of the financial system working smoothly again. The stock market has risen sharply in the past three months, in large part because of the Fed, with the Standard & Poor's 500 index erasing most of the terrifying 34% five-week drop that it suffered from its mid-February all-time high to its March 23 low. And even though retail sales are still well below they, where they were before the pandemic struck and the unemployment rate is much higher, they're still a lot better than they were not long ago, in large part because of the stimulus created by ultra-low interest rates and various pieces of bailout legislation. So. 
what's my problem? It's that millions of individual investors are being forced into the stock market to get any meaningful income from their savings because they can no longer count on traditional havens such as savings accounts, certificates of deposit, treasury securities, or money market mutual funds. Now, just as a little background on my perspective here, the whole stock market is inflated in general. But now it's especially inflated because, as J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon said just a couple weeks ago, it's the Fed's liquidity that is propping up the stock market. But there's another dynamic here that you have to consider related to this, which is that it's small businesses that are suffering the most with corona, not companies being traded on the stock market. It's not Walmart. I mean, if anything, those businesses that are allowed to stay open are getting a more privileged economic status, and some of them are doing more business. We've seen this in some of the earlier fights over the economic shutdowns in small towns where they said, well, this mom-and-pop shop has to close, but Walmart stays open. And they were like, well, we're selling the stuff that Walmart is selling in that section. How come they get to stay open? And we, well, and what they did is they had Walmart, like, rope off parts of the store and say, you can't buy these things here in this section. And you just go, well, man, if that doesn't tick you off. So now it's not just that it's, it's being propped up by the liquidity. It's being propped up by the shutdowns favoring these companies. And so we go to our next story, another favored economic class that's profiting from this whole shutdown from Wall Street Journal. Big hotel owners stand to gain from a government-orchestrated debt relief. Surprise, surprise, them in the military-industrial complex and who knows what other, you know, big favored economic classes who pull the strings in Congress. Yes, of course, they're going to profit. So, Lawmakers and businesses are pushing the U.S. government to offer debt relief to hundreds of small hotel owners who borrowed with the help of bond markets. But the biggest beneficiaries of any assistance could be large real estate owners affiliated with properties that owe troubled hotel debt, according to an analysis by Hotel Union Unite Here International, which analyzed public filings and data from research firm TREP LLC as of June 16th. Now, you don't need to understand all of the economics behind the story to see, oh, it's a consolidation of power, of wealth. It's, the, it's right before your eyes, the rich getting richer, and the effect here has to be the poor getting poorer. Now, with the hotels as a whole uh, and industry, you know, if you're not doing business, uh, you know, and, and hotel bookings are, are way down right now. You know, they're, they're, it's not like they're, although, hey, government subsidies, if you get government bailouts, guess what? Because the government can come in and say, well, this was your income, and because of corona, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to compensate you and maintain your income there. Or, uh, uh, but, and, and if that's the case, well, now you don't have all of the upkeep costs of the hotel, the staffing. And, and the utilities, all of the major costs, they go away, but the profits are still there. Again, socializing losses to the taxpayers, privatizing profits to the specialized or the, the special friends of government. The hotel owner with the most money in these troubled commercial-backed security loans is Monty Bennett, the Dallas businessman, is affiliated with companies including Ashford Hospitality Trust and Bramer Hotels and Resorts. 
that had loans valued at nearly $2.3 billion with special servicers, according to Unite Here's analysis of the TREP data. Meanwhile, Colony Capital, a $50 billion private equity firm run by Thomas Barak, owed about $2 billion, according to the analysis. So, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin acknowledged the CMBS issue at a recent Senate hearing suggested that the administration might need to come back to Congress to work on a potential fix. Yeah, let us get away with this racket for a little while, then we'll show you how to fix it. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell indicated in House testimony that the issue might be better addressed by Congress. So, of course, a planned crisis comes with costs for everyone involved. The hotel industry was among the hardest hit by the pandemic. And, geez, you know, no, this is not caused by the pandemic. It's caused by the fear and the government shutdowns, causing thousands of properties to close and occupancy rates to fall below 25%. Occupancy levels nationwide have been rising for weeks and are now back above 40%, but is still well below that mark in resort hotspots like Orlando, Florida, and Hawaii, and lower in big cities such as Boston and Chicago. I, do you think it's a coincidence that the Libertarian Party announces we're going to have a convention in Orlando and next thing you know, it's a hot spot or is that a resort hot spot where a lot of people say, okay, it's a resort hot spot, not a buyer's hot spot. No, Florida, no, it's a hot state now. That's it, getting back to shutting down. Representatives of the real estate companies either declined to comment or didn't respond to requests for comment. So next very related story comes from CNBC.com. Jeff Cox writes, the Fed is buying some of the biggest companies' bonds, raising questions over why. Hmm, why? Oh, because they want the rich to get richer and the poor to get poor. No shake. Like, just, yeah, duh. There's no why. Maybe, maybe there's more specific questions, but, you know, you got a knife in your back? Are, are you going to spend your time studying the knife or getting it out of your back? We'll spend a little time studying it here, I suppose. The Federal Reserve is continuing to buy corporate bonds following up on a pledge it made in March. Corporate America titans such as Microsoft, Apple, and Home Depot have been among the beneficiaries. Questions have been raised over moral hazard as the Fed buys debt from companies that don't seem to need the central bank's help. And, I mean, we really, I mean, I made this point and it went, you know, semi-viral on Twitter, you know, months ago when they first proposed the $1,200 stimulus payment, but they were borrowing $6,000 for American. You know, well, you're borrowing $6,000 on my name, you're giving me $1,200, you get the other $48. That's not a good deal for me. Uh, the, the bill's going to come due eventually. The effect on the purchasing power of the dollar, all of these things add up. So how to get the knife out that we see being twisted with Corona? You have to be more economically conscientious. And that means not using the dollar as much as you can. If you can use Bitcoin, crypto, barter, gold, silver, anything else. If you cannot get a, a page, if you can get a job that's not paid with a W-2 where your taxes are withdrawn, or even just apply for exemption so that they don't do the withholding 
and and you can be a, a you know make sure that you pay as little in taxes later as possible that you conduct your life in a way that doesn't contribute to the evil of this economic system. And there's nothing wrong with taking from it. Disability, unemployment, welfare, take what you can as long as you're not encouraging the government to take more. Because that means it has less money that it can use to hurt people. When it makes money available for you as an individual, it's that it's an excuse to justify its existence. It's like, oh, look how nice we are. Make it hard for them. Make it expensive for them to, to keep that excuse. Never advocate for, for more welfare or, you know, more of these government programs because they, that is encouraging the government to steal more. But taking what you can out of the old system and using it to build the new, that's how we get this knife out of our back that the powers that be dig in and twist to bleed out the middle class, America's working class, using the poor too in there, manipulating everybody so that the rich get poor, or sorry, so the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Let's work together. Let's get the knife out of our collective social back, shall we say. All right, that's just about two hours into the broadcast today. Man, this has been a lot of fun. I really like that last little block of economic stories. Um, we got a couple stories we didn't get to today. I'm going to be talking about tomorrow with Roger Stone from Politico. Judge explains decision to reject delay in Roger Stone's sentence. Uh, maybe we'll just get him for an interview. Roger Stone is, is such a great guest. And, you know, we, we have some obvious disagreements, mainly him still being a, a, a ardent Trump supporter. I almost said rabbit, but that would be demeaning. <laughs> but I think he is, you know, one of those people who is, you know, a libertarian at heart who has fallen for some of, the, of, of, of Trump's rhetoric. But it's not, Stone's more interesting than that. He didn't fall for all of Trump's bullshit. And I've heard him say about Trump off the record some things that he wouldn't want me to repeat uh, on the record here. So I, I won't, out of respect for my friend. But um, it's more that he fell for, I shouldn't say fell for, it's more that he just, you know, as a jockey, wanted to hitch his uh, star to a political horse and, and, and ride him to the White House and almost succeeded in that. So we'll see. Maybe uh, we'll get, well, I'm going to, you know, I'll make a note of this. We'll, we'll, we'll get Roger Stone. Uh, in, in our uh, guest queue here. Then uh, CJ had a couple crypto stories. I mean, maybe we can just touch on these really fast. You know, maybe we'll discuss these in the after show today. I think we'll do, we'll do a Patreon-only after show, um, you know, and, and smoke some um, things that, you're, that, that YouTube doesn't want to know get smoked ever on camera anywhere. Uh, so we've got crypto. California University paid over a million dollar ransom in Bitcoin. Uh, and Uber, angel investor, 99% of crypto projects are garbage. So we'll get to that uh, in, in today's post show. And uh, CJ, thank you for pulling up the, the Patreon to remind everybody. If you're in, in Patreon uh, in our producers club, you automatically get the link. So I hope CJ's working on this right now as we speak. As soon as we get wrapped here, he's going to 
get us that uh, link to the post show into the Producer Club Telegram chat. And then uh, quick good news in history for June 30th. On this day, 65 years ago, the Johnny Carson Show debuted on CBS. The primetime variety show was a traditional potpourri of monologue, comedy, music, dance, and skits. The series was short-lived, but planted the seeds for sketches he would later perform on The Tonight Show, such as the Mighty Carson Art Players. Uh, more good news on this day. In 1905, Albert Einstein published his Miracle Year, the article where he introduced special relativity, which became the generally accepted physical theory regarding the relationship between space and time. Uh, let's see. On this day in 1953, the first Corvette rolled off the Chevrolet assembly line in Flint, Michigan, and became known for speed and performance, especially the stylish Stingray vets of the 1960s. Now, this from 1971, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three against the government, so this is really just government tapping the brakes on itself, affirming newspapers' rights to publish the Pentagon Papers. In 1985, on this day, 39 American hostages were freed in Beirut from a hijacked TWA jetliner after being held for 17 days. On this day in 2005, just 15 years ago, Spain legalized gay marriage. On this day in 2012, a kindness scavenger event held simultaneously in five cities led volunteers in Syracuse, New York, Denver, Seattle, and Richmond, Virginia on a mission to put a smile on a stranger's face. I hope we see more of that. And, <clears throat> all right. And in this, on this day in 2015, Misty Copeland became the first African-American principal dancer in the American Ballet Theater's 75-year history. So let's check in on... Comment Jim Freedom right over here. Any Dang. more comments before we get to our clip contest answers? Uh, well, that's what I had queued up here. I was just wanting to make sure we didn't forget about our clip contest answers. So right. are we? The answers are already set in. So we do we play the clip and then go over the yep. answer? Or do I do? Let's the play the clip one more time, CJ. Okay, perfect. CJ, get that ready. There's only two people guessing, so you'll have to be the judge. Well, maybe there'll be someone who joined us who wants to get in a, a guess at the last minute here. And that's good, because then they don't have a chance to, to Google that shit. Google that, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what, what we're, we're supposed, supposed to be doing. Here is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jim, our guesses, please. Okay, uh, Chris Gannon said, uh, well, he he has a bunch of them. He says, Dagobah, Anakin, and Jedi Temple. So obviously everybody knew it was Yoda. Yeah, okay. He says he was talking to Anakin. Is that yeah, correct? I believe and so. he says he was in the Jedi Temple. Yep, that is that. And what, what's the other answer? Uh, the other answer was Yoda Dagobah system to Luke. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say wrong for saying to Luke because it was to Anakin as we're about to see in this. Well, you know what? 
CJ, I think we're going to have to save the visual for the post show. But yeah, I got to oh, yeah, say, yeah. you know, and that was, you know, what I was actually looking for when I said setting was, I was thinking the movie. You know, what was the, the name of the movie? But, you know, Chris Gannon, both of them going kind of above and beyond saying Dagobah. Uh, yeah. But really, Chris Gannon got it right there. Chris Gannon him. actually, he literally followed it up. He said he literally watched that movie last night. So. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> he got that lucky. He was like the first person to answer, like, I just watched that. So he was. That, yeah, that's what you get for being a Star Wars nerd. A free membership to the Adam versus the Man Producers Club. Congratulations, Chris. And for those who don't know, Chris Gannon was our rock star regional coordinator with the campaign taking care of the northeast corner of the country. So. Any other comments you want to share before we wrap uh, this up? Want to ask, I just want to ask Chris to please email me at jim at thefreedomline.com, and I'll get him set up with that uh, with that producer's love that. Awesome. Beautiful. Wrap us up. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, with that being said, mwah, peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. 